We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Ulysses Wu. He is Chief Epidemiologist and System Director for Infectious Diseases at Hartford HealthCare. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Wu, bring us up to date on what you are seeing at Hartford HealthCare related to COVID-19 and the surge of the Omicron variant. Yes. So I think it's not just at Hartford HealthCare, but what we are seeing in the Northeast, especially with uh, regards to Connecticut, we are seeing a rise in hospitalizations. I don't think that all this is due to Omicron at this point. We are still sequencing and getting a lot of Delta at this point, and with Omicron being more mild, these are still behaving like Delta. And I think a lot of this is flow over from the holidays, uh, starting with actually Halloween, uh, all the way back at the end of October. And then we had our first frost in the beginning of November, which drove people indoors, followed by um, Hanukkah, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And so I think we are seeing a rise in hospitalizations as a result of Delta uh, being uh, doing what it's doing. It's Delta being Delta at this point. And uh, with Omicron taking over, we do still expect to see a rise in numbers, even though it may be more mild just by the sheer volume of what Omicron may, uh, may be in terms of its infectivity. So I guess to answer your question shortly, but simply, we are seeing a mix of both. Um, now, we do expect numbers to start decreasing with the holidays um, over at this point. Uh, the Omicron uh, may result in more cases, but whether or not that's actually going to result in more hospitalizations, it is unclear at this point. But we do expect numbers to start decreasing slightly in the middle of January, possibly another Omicron uh, increase as that uh, continues to take hold. And then that will eventually decrease. And then that will finally be followed by. Uh, which I think you're going to talk about later, influenza, which typically peaks in the middle of February. Now, given the way things have changed, what is the best metric we have to figure out where things are going? The best metric right now is a combination of metrics. So we don't look at the case positivity rate. Um, and so the reason why we don't only look at the case positivity rate is because I think a lot of that is being driven upwards by Omicron as well. Now, I do think some of the hospitalizations are being 
due, uh, driven by Omicron, but like I said before, mostly due to Delta. So what we do is we look at an interaction between positivity rate plus the hospitalization rate plus the ICU rate and ventilator utilization. And then finally, we look at deaths as well. So we are looking at all of those measures. At Hartford Healthcare, we are actually approximately close to our numbers last year. But what is very different is our ventilator utilization and ICU utilization is a lot less as compared to last year at this point. Now, I did the numbers from last holiday weekend and Connecticut saw a 26% increase in hospitalizations. To those who say, well, this isn't a big deal because these a lot of these people were just admitted for other reasons and they happened to test positive for COVID, what do you say to them? I, I, I guess it's, it's difficult to say because in that sense, we certainly are seeing people who are being hospitalized for other reasons and they're being test and they're testing positive for COVID. But I think what is being lost is the message here, or or I'll, I'll just say actually the facts is being lost. The same thing we saw actually with early on uh, in this wave, people were saying, oh, it's only COVID. The only COVID positives are those that are being back are those that are vaccinated, which is completely untrue. It's just the ones that are currently getting the press right now. So the people that are still doing uh, poorly, unfortunately, in the hospital are by and large mostly unvaccinated. And so getting over to who's being admitted, it's certainly not uh, those who are being admitted for other reasons besides COVID. We certainly have a lot of COVID admitted, pop, um, uh, a lot of COVID admitted patients as well. But there probably is some validity to it as they're being admitted for different reasons, as can be evidenced by our critical care data, which is still bad, though, at this point. So I don't want to make light of the fact that some people may be admitted for other reasons besides COVID, because we certainly still are seeing a lot of COVID positive patients who are not doing well, who are ending up in the ICU. As you noted, there's still a lot of Delta, and now there you are seeing some, some Omicron. What are the key differences? Well, the key difference right now, uh, I hate to be glib in my answer, is that we don't treat them different at all. All the precautions that we are taking right now for Delta are the same as we did with Alpha and Beta and Gamma, uh, which we will be doing the same with Omicron or whatever the next uh, Greek letter, such as Pi, uh, will be coming down the road. We treat these all the same because we are considering them all to be dangerous. We are all we are considering them all to be very infective, very contagious at this point. We know that even with Omicron, like I said before, if there is a rise in cases, even if it is less lethal due to the sheer volume of cases due, uh, from Omicron itself, that we could still see a lot of hospitalizations as a result of it. So we actually don't treat them differently. We are treating it as coronavirus, um, as COVID-19, and we are assuming that all of them are dangerous and we are taking the appropriate precautions and uh, using the appropriate treatments for all of them. Be beyond how you treat them, is it accurate to say that Omicron is more contagious? I think right now the preliminary data uh, suggests that Omicron is definitely more contagious. However, it may not be as dangerous. Um, but like I said, if you have a large increase in the volume itself, 
you have an absolute number in the increase of people who may be hurt by Omicron as well. So uh, right now it is believed to be more contagious. Is there enough information to say whether or not Omicron affects the respiratory system differently? Is it more upper versus lower? I think that's a very good question. And I don't think there's enough data to say it definitively. A lot of the data suggests that its uh, its ability to replicate in lung tissue may not be as uh, great as some of the previous variants, but I think that still remains to be seen uh, at this point. And I, I know that I'm, I'm kind of uh, going back to the well with this one. If you have an absolute increase in the number of Omicron, by, by virtue, you're still going to have a lot more hospitalizations as a result of it, even if it is less lethal. Now, there has been a lot made about masks recently and the importance of N95s in particular. If you're still using a, a cloth mask, is it time to upgrade? Well, I, to be honest with you, as a health professional, I've never really been in favor of a, of a cloth mask. And the cloth masks that I would have recommended would those that have more than one layer. Um, and so some of the double layer or triple layer cloth masks may be better. But the best mask right now is still the surgical mask. Um, now, it may not be the best mask in terms of preven prevention, but that is the best mask right now in terms of its availability. As you go higher, uh, you know, and you can include respirators in this as well, um, the N95 certainly would provide more protection from an aerosolization standpoint. Um, but I'm not going to say one is better than the other at this point, uh, because the best mask is uh, if they have availability for some of these surgical masks or procedural masks, which tend to be more common, uh, that's a mask they certainly would should be using uh, more often, more than a cloth mask probably at this point. If you have access to an N95 or a K95, the reality is that you have to be fitted to those masks. So some of them actually may not fit correctly. Uh, and then there's the whole issue of facial hair as well. Um, and so we did just go through, I guess, no shave Movember or whatever, uh, whatever the term is. And so facial hair does affect the quality and the fit of the mask itself. So uh, although N95s may be better on paper, in terms of its clinical practice, they may not be as good. We've seen a number of cities and towns move to reimpose indoor mask mandates. Given what's going on with the pandemic, do you feel that's a, a prudent move? Uh, it, so from a pure science standpoint, uh, mask mandates absolutely make sense. But as we know, science does not exist in a vacuum. And there are very many social and political other factors that factor into it. But we do know that this is a respiratory disease, um, and we know that this is communicated through the respiratory tract. And the science says the best way to protect yourself from a respiratory disease and to protect others from uh, a respiratory disease is to use a mask. Um, we see evidence of this uh, in terms of uh, the amount of influenza, for example, that we're seeing, as well as COVID. Uh, remember this time last year, there were mask mandates in place and people are wondering, well, why are case numbers increasing? Why is the percent positivity increasing? Why are influenza numbers increasing? Not to mention those viruses, but there are a lot of other viruses that we're seeing an increase as well. Rhinoviruses, parainfluenza, adenovirus, human metanumavirus. These are all things that are spread 
through the respiratory tract. For all of your listeners who may not have known, prior to COVID-19, there were other circulating coronaviruses that caused your everyday kite-type common cold this time of the year. We are seeing an increase in those. And so just by sheer virtue of comparison of this year to last year, we are seeing an increase in these. I believe a lot of this not only has to do with masking, but also has to do with social behaviors as well. A lot of people are tired of COVID and they're doing what they want to do. Um, and uh, a lot of this is mental well health being as well. And so I get that. But yes, we are seeing many different behaviors uh, that are different this year as compared to last year. Uh, so that is playing a part. But masking is also playing a part as well. Before the holidays, I recall you saying in terms of holiday gatherings, it was really a matter of risk assessment. And it seems you're saying even though the holidays have, have passed, that still rings true. It always rings true. Absolutely. And the risk assessment, remember, does not only part uh, is not only in particular to yourself, but it is also to you, you and those that are around you. And so there are some uh, where the risk assessment is themselves and uh, they're young, they're healthy. They don't have any comorbidities, but there are also people who may be young and unhealth or young and healthy, but they also have, say, aging parents or a sibling that may be immunocompromised, or parents that may be immunocompromised, or a wife or a husband that may be immunocompromised, or children as well. That should all factor into your risk assessment. And yes, that still holds true now after the holidays, as well as before. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Ulysses Wu. He is Chief Epidemiologist and System Director for Infectious Diseases at Hartford HealthCare. Dr. Wu, are all COVID tests created equal? All of that, that's, that's, that's a great way to state it. No, they are definitely not all created equal. But that being said, testing is a part of the strategy to try to get out of this pandemic as well. Uh, all cars are not created equal. All stakes are not created equal. So um, there's a lot of things that you can say that still have a lot of use and a lot of validity as well. Um, the gold standard right now is still the PCR. Uh, that is still the best test that we can rely on. But that being said, with the lack of availability of uh, PCR in our daily lives, um, there are other testing um, modalities that are actually very useful. And home testing is certainly one of them. The thing about home testing is a lot of it, home testing is very dependent on the reason you're checking it. There are some people that are home testing themselves every single day just to see if they have COVID or not. And then there are some people that are using it before say an event, or they may actually have symptoms or after an exposure with or without symptoms. All of these will affect actually the performance of the test. And so if you have a high suspicion that you have COVID or that you're symptomatic from COVID, but your home test is negative, I would encourage you to go out and try to get one of the better tests as well. But that being said, the home test, it doesn't mean that they don't have any utility at all. They all have a role. When is the best time to use a home test? Oh, the best time to use a, a home test is actually waiting until you're symptomatic, believe it or not. Uh, so sometimes there are people, that's when it'll have its best utility. Some people test, uh, let's say I was talking to you in person and then 
uh, I had COVID and then you said, oh, I'm going to test right now. Well, that's probably not the best time, though there is some utility in that because it does establish a baseline. Maybe you aren't going to acquire COVID from me, but you acquired it from your last guest or whatever it may be. But in reality, um, we do like to use testing when people are symptomatic. And that is uh, usually appears in the days, let's say three to five range, uh, or I'll, I'll say three to seven range uh, will be the window then that you should probably be testing um, with its greatest utility. Now, say someone has symptoms and they perform a home test within that range and it comes back negative. Are they free and clear or, or should they do something else? No, I don't think that they are free and clear. Um, so it, that all goes back to what is the suspicion that you have COVID. And so if you do have the suspicion, uh, you can get false negatives with this. And that's when if you have a negative test result, but you have a high suspicion, you probably should move on to a better test. Um, in addition, if you seek care, it does allow you to seek care for some of these other influenza uh, viruses such as influenza. And so influenza is a good example because you could certainly get a treatment for influenza as well. So if you have a negative test, you should not only retest for COVID if you're symptomatic uh, with a better test, but you should also look for maybe some of these other viruses, namely influenza. That's a perfect segue. Last week, we heard the term fluorona for the first time. What is that? So fluorona would be, I well, I'm not exactly sure. It sounds like a type of pasta, to be honest with me. But uh, and now that I think about it, it's lunchtime. I'm probably hungry. Um, that's probably what it sounds like. Um, so fluorona, we certainly were worried about last year, and that would be, uh, I guess, getting the flu and COVID at the same time. Uh, it's more hypothetical. I mean, I think there have been some cases, but by and large, if you take all the flus out there and all the COVIDs. Uh, they, are, they are not going to be dual infections. And so uh, it's certainly something that we're on the lookout for. And from a clinical standpoint, if you have both diseases, it can certainly be very bad uh, for that individual. But that being said, we also know that uh, not just influenza, but COVID itself can live in the respiratory tract and not cause disease. And so you can actually test positive for both, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have both. Uh, and so uh, that is something that we would have to be very cautious about. But yes, if you are actually infected with both corona, with both influenza, that could certainly uh, portend a poor outcome. Is it difficult to tell the difference between the two at times? Could one come back as a positive and the other come back negative? Uh, yeah, I, I think in this day and age, we've learned that COVID can present in many different ways, from the asymptomatic to a completely full-blown influenza-like illness. Uh, the flu itself could also present from an asymptomatic to a fully-blown influenza illness. And so it is difficult to say, but some of the markers that, and this is not uh 100% with validity, but some of the things that we do look at, say loss of sense of taste or smell, would probably be more consistent with COVID. Uh, the respiratory tract, uh, since it is a respiratory disease, may be involved more with COVID, but we certainly see uh, bad influenza pneumonias, and we can certainly see loss of sense of taste and smell with influenza as well. So none of these are 100% tried and true facts. Now, 
it continues to be that the best defense against both of these, COVID and the flu, is vaccination, correct? Well, the best defense really is what we uh, affectionately term abstinence, and that would be the avoidance of anybody else around you. So we know that is not possible. But yes, vaccination. uh, So this is where we've gotten uh, the message kind of mixed uh, with regards to vaccination. The purpose of vaccination is to actually take a deadly illness and to prevent it from getting uh, worse. And so to turn, it, to turn it into the common cold, it holds true for COVID and it actually holds true for influenza. And influenza is actually a great example where it's sometimes not a great vaccine from year to year, but even just by the virtue of getting it, it may temper the degree of how severe your illness is. Now, to go back to your original point, to prevent illness, yes, it certainly will also help with that. But we have to remember the primary purpose of vaccination for these two diseases is really to prevent severity. If we had this to do over again, and goodness knows, I, I hope we don't have to go through it again, but would the marketing of the vaccine be a little different? Because there are people out there who say, ah, see, there there are people who've been vaccinated and are still getting COVID, so therefore it, it doesn't have any use. And you're saying that's not the case. Yeah, and marketing is a good ter- is, is a good choice of words because it was never really marketed as a preventative measure. It was always uh, at, at it was always a side benefit of a vaccine. But we've always known from a medical standpoint that no vaccines are really 100%, but they may temper an illness. Uh, in terms of its severity. And so um, it's, I guess, if you're talking about the marketing, the messages were mixed because people interpreted uh, reduction in hospitalization and reduction in severity of disease. They, uh, I guess they juxtapose that with prevention of disease. Um, Like I said before, it does certainly help with prevention of disease, but its primary purpose in the studies was to prevent severity. Where do you see the pandemic going from here? I know there has been chatter that people are maybe optimistically saying, well, hopefully Omicron is the last wave and then we're done. Are you in that camp? I'm not in that camp, but I'm not in the doom and gloom camp either. I think what we're seeing with Omicron is the natural evolution of the coronavirus. And so uh, I think there are going to be further Greek letters down the road, whether it's Omicron, whether it's Pi, whatever it may be going all the way to Zeta and hopefully we won't hopefully we won't run out and have to use more letters after that but the the general hope is that the natural evolution of covid is to become a mild disease uh, as i pointed out earlier in the show there are existing coronaviruses out there uh, that have been circulating from year to year that cause our quote unquote common colds from year to year Um, And my belief is that they actually did start out as COVID-like illnesses at one time and become something uh, more benign. But uh, don't quote me on that because uh, I I would certainly need to see this uh, in reality as proof. Uh, But that is the hope. So to recap, if you have been able to avoid getting COVID to this point, what advice do you have for, for someone as we move forward? Yeah, uh, the first thing I will say, there, there are several measures that you want to take care of to make sure that you, you don't get COVID. But the first most important thing is to recognize that a lot of these decisions are not personal decisions. 
only. They are personal decisions with societal consequences. What do I mean by that? This is a societal disease. Although you yourself may be healthy and may feel like, oh, I can get COVID, it's not a problem. There is a transmission issue uh, with regards to passing it on. And that is our societal responsibility. And so with that societal responsibility, uh, there are several measures that uh, one can take to try to protect themselves. And number one is uh, social avoidance. So not putting yourself in those social situations that may put you at risk. Number two, social distancing. If you are in those situations where you have to be socially present, uh, you want to protect yourself. Number three, vaccinations. Number four, boosting. And number five, masking. These are the five measures that have not changed from alpha to beta to delta to Omicron. These are all very important measures. Uh, one doesn't exist without the other. He is Dr. Ulysses Wu, Chief Epidemiologist and System Director for Infectious Diseases at Hartford HealthCare. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 